Hello and welcome to Brews Crew, a podcast focused on your Milwaukee Brewers, baseball in general. You get to listen to me drink and talk about a beer. Speaking of me, I am Ryan Liebherr. I'm the host of this podcast. And man, am I excited to talk to you about how free agency has gone so far, some of the brewer acquisitions. So let's get started. All right. So before we start getting into the player movement that's been happening so far this offseason, let's introduce the beer of the episode. So for this episode, I will be drinking Night Rain. It is a porter from Oso Brewing Company in Plover, Wisconsin. Hashtag drink local. And I decided to go with the porter since it is December. We are well into December. And who doesn't like a dark beer on a cold winter's night? So with that said, let's jump into some of the early moves the brewers have made. So I think the big thing that I want to start with is the arbitration tender deadline. So this was a while ago. This was December 2nd was the deadline. And the Brewers had a lot of decisions that needed to be made. A lot of players were up for arbitration. A number of players that performed poorly the last season or were hurt for the majority of the time or or were just minor minor cast members in what the team did in 2019. And I think I think that the the announcement of the tender the non-tendered players was really disheartening because it looked like not only were we cutting payroll but we were also cutting players that were great for us in the past did not perform well and a lot of people took that as Brewers front office not doing their best to be competitive. So Orlando Arcia signed a one-year contract just before the non-tender deadline. So arbitration is avoided completely with him. We tendered contracts to Ben Gamel, Josh Hader, Corey Knable, and Brent Suter. Corey Knable was hurt for all of 2019, and he's not going to be back. I believe the rumors say that he won't be back until May of 2020. But with his performance, with his performance in 2018, obviously his injury was a significant one, but we're expecting some similar level of performance from Corey Knable. Josh Hader, obviously the two-time NL reliever of the year. Ben Gamel, who now projects to be our fifth outfielder, which we'll get to. And Brent Suter, who's been... Uh, a starting pitching option, as well as long relief in the bullpen. All of those players are fairly significant, um, particularly at the time of the non-tender deadline. Now, the players that we non-tendered is uh, is also kind of a significant list. Uh, Tyler Saladino, utility infielder. Travis Shaw, obviously with his monster couple of years in Milwaukee and then the dud, the stinker performance of 2019. Then also the pitchers, Alex Claudio, 
who, spoiler alert, we signed to a deal in free agency, brought him back for cheaper than what he was expected to make in arbitration. So kind of a scary move if you're an impatient baseball fan, but baseball's all about the long game. Anyway, also, we also non-tendered Junior Guerra and Jimmy Nelson. And I think the two, well, all of those non-tenders are really difficult to deal with. Travis Shaw was such a big part of our team since coming over from the Red Sox, minus the 2019 season, that losing him kind of feels like we're losing a piece of 2018 team, which was our first postseason appearance since 2011. Um, And really, I think he was a big part of baseball becoming such an exciting and big thing in Milwaukee. So seeing him non-tendered was really disheartening. And then also Jimmy Nelson. I mean, his, his 2017 season was a phenomenal performance, and it was such a shame that he had to have an early exit due to an injury that caused him to be out of the game from a year and a half. That's significant time, and a player is going to lose a lot of a lot of any sort of their skill set in that time. I was really looking forward to getting him back. I went to his first his first start in 2019. Uh, and that was a really um, really powerful experience. The standing ovation, the cheers that the crowd gave him. He worked hard to come back, and he really he loved Milwaukee. So it was it was a really big shame to one see the performance of of him this in his limited time, and then two to see him be non-tendered. And while shortly after the non-tender deadline, Stearns had said something about uh, not not closing any of the doors to any of these players, which Alex Claudio resigned. So. We know that there's some sort of truth in that full statement. Travis Shaw and Jimmy Nelson both posted farewells um, on social media to the Milwaukee Brewers, which was, I mean, that, that's kind of, kind of experiencing a shut door, which is kind of a shame. Jimmy Nelson didn't get a whole lot of time in the MLB to prove that he was ready to come back. He didn't even get a a lot of time in the minors either. He only pitched 40 innings at triple a. And even then it was not, it was not great. Um, So the Brewers front office decided that 60, 62 innings of work was enough for them to decide that they're not willing to risk risk the arbitration money that Jimmy Nelson was set or, or projected to earn to give him the time to try to get back to where he was. 
So th- those were, and Junior Guerra obviously was, he was a, a big part of our pitching staff, a starter for a couple of years, a quality, quality inning eater out of the bullpen. So there was one very important move that happened before the non-tender deadline that had and will continue to have significant impact on our roster. And that was a trade with the Padres that brought into Milwaukee Eric Lauer, who's a lefty starting pitcher, and Luis Urias. And the interesting player in this trade was Urias. Partially because he is a middle infielder. And he has played some time at third base, but it's it's not as significant at his time as his time at second or shortstop. And he is a top prospect. In a number of different prospect rankings. He is well over 25th. The lowest that I could just find in a quick search over a number of different lists was 23rd. People expect him to be a quality player. The question is, where is he going to find time in the Brewers' offense? What defensive position is he going to play? And I think that's yet to be seen. He's probably not going to be an everyday player starting the 2020 season. We may not even see him. We may not see him on the opening day roster, but he will be an impact player by the end of the 2020 season and moving forward. He's not accrued enough service time to even start thinking about arbitration, so he is under control for six more years. Now, what we gave up was pretty significant as well. We gave up Trent Grisham, and I'm a bit upset with that. He proved himself to be a pretty quality MLB player this last season. I mean, he kind of blitzed through the the last portions of the minor league system last year. But when he was playing at the big leagues, I think he set what his floor is at, is at. I think he still has potential to be an even better player than what he showed. Maybe not significantly so, but he is an MLB player. We also gave up Zach Davies. Um, and that, one, that one's rough. I don't think it hurts as much. I think it's rough because he, he did so well at the beginning of the season last year. And I think a lot of us still think of him as that pitcher that he was the first half of the season where he was leading the MLB in ERA for a time. And I know that's not a be all end all stat, but run prevention is what you want to be doing on the mound. Sometimes it doesn't matter how you do it, but that you get the job done. So Zach Davies and Trent Grisham for Eric Lauer and Luis Urias and a player to be named later. Now, I want to focus on Brewers Brewers acquisitions first. We'll talk about some of the other baseball signings. So the next big player acquisition was another trade, this time with the Seattle Mariners. 
in a vacuum, this trade does not make a ton of sense. We sent a, a young minor league pitcher that hasn't progressed far in the minor league system. And in return, we got a really great bat at catcher and Omar Narvaez. So it doesn't make sense because we're giving up a player with a lot of question marks. And in return, we're getting a really great bat. But once you put the context of the organizations around it, Seattle Mariners, I mean, mostly from the Seattle Mariners side, they, they've got young pitchers that need guidance from defensive catchers, which Narvaez is not. He is one of the worst framers and trying to develop pitchers with poor framing from the catching end uh, isn't, isn't really great. So they were ditching the poor defense and they understood the cost of downgrading an offense and they got some a minor league arm in return who may or may not pan out. Uh, that's yet to be seen. But what we get, what we get is another strong bat in the lineup. And now Manny Pena gets demoted to backup catcher. And like I've said before, Manny Pena, his greatest asset is not his offense, which I'll remind you is, serv- is serviceable at catcher. But his main asset is his defense. And so now we've got these two black and white catchers. One that can hit hit well above average at the catcher position. And one that is a high quality defender. And I'm really interested in seeing how council is going to use both of them. uh, Whether Pena might be a catcher for a couple of specific pitchers whether Narvaez is going to be an everyday catcher, similar to how we kind of used Jasmine Grandal, but Grandal was kind of uh, in a league of his own in catchers. He's obviously phenomenal in hitting, and he's one of the best pitch framers in baseball. And I think that the obvious downside to Narvaez is his defense. And for quite a while, it was thought that pitch framing could not be taught, that the, the catcher's pitch framing numbers cannot be improved upon. That, that That's kind of who they are. There may be some year-to-year variance, but in general, they're either going to, if they're bad, they're going to be bad. If they're okay, they're going to be okay. And if they're good, they're going to continue to be good. But that kind of was proved wrong to us this year, particularly in the case of Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver is the Minnesota Twins catcher. And before this year, he was an extremely poor pitch framer. But this last year, he showed pretty remarkable improvement. Not that he was outstanding by any means, but even going from very poor pitch framing to middle-of-the-road pitch framing is a very large accomplishment, especially when we used to think that that was something that a player could improve. So maybe the Brewers are thinking that they can do something similar. 
in taking a poor defensive catcher and improving upon him at least enough so that he is not a liability when trying to steal strikes on the edge or that he's hurting the development of some of the young pitchers that we may be using this upcoming season. And shortly after the signing, there were talks that Manny Pena was going to be meeting with him already to start to start preparing with him for this upcoming season for catching the Brewers pitchers and maybe to help him improve his pitch framing. I don't know. We'll have to see. There's a lot of we'll have to sees with offseason stuff, obviously, since, you know, they're not playing baseball right now. There are three other major signings that the Brewers have done. I mean, I mentioned Claudio already, and I'm not sure if I would call him major. He's a quality pitcher, performed well with us last year. I'm excited to have him on. But our bullpen has been pretty set. We didn't lose any major players except for Claudio Guerra. And yet the bullpen was still one of our strengths in 2019. So we're expecting kind of similar things there. So out of those three remaining major free agent signings, the first is Brett Anderson. And I think I'm taking his signing as he's kind of a wild card pitcher. He's had a lot of injuries. He's missed a lot of time. But when he's pitched a full season, he's been he's been good, not great. So last year he pitched 31 games with Oakland and he was worth 2.5 wins above replacement. His ERA was better than league average. And while he doesn't strike out a lot of batters, his walks and home runs are his walks and home runs allowed are at a good a pretty good pace. He's also entering his age 32 season, so he's a little over the peak athleticism age. So he's kind of a rotation rounder, I think is what I might call him. I'm not going to be expecting a lot from him. And hopefully he doesn't get hurt. If he can remain healthy, he could be the anchor at the bottom of the of the rotation, depending on how Lauer and Josh Lindblom, the other free agent signing, the other pitcher free agent signing works out. So Lindblom has been in Korea for the past three seasons. And while he's been in Korea, he's been a phenomenal pitcher. And actually, if you remove a brief stint with Pittsburgh in 2017, 
he spent five total seasons over in Korea. And his his numbers in those in those seasons are pretty phenomenal. 355 ERA, 63 and 32 win-loss record. And his his home runs, walks, and strikeouts per nine are all really good numbers. That's things that you want to see in particularly in this past year. He won not only Korea's version of the Cy Young Award, but also the MVP. So he's coming over after one particularly outstandingly phenomenal season and a couple of other really quality seasons in Korea. And our expectation of him is to have him in the rotation, have him start games, and hopefully, I mean, I I think expecting repeat performances of what he did in Korea is ridiculous and outlandish, but hopefully he can be a quality pitcher in this rotation. Now, Lynn Bloom is not the first major free agent signing from uh, of a player who started out in the majors, transitioned to Korea, and then came back to the majors. Eric Thames, who we uh, did not keep in his option year this year, he was also a major Korean baseball player. He was, in fact, he was kind of ridiculous in his time over there, he was considered kind of the Korean Babe Ruth. So I think that we can do some sort of, some sort of kind of comparison between what Thames did in Korea to what Thames did in MLB to kind of gauge an expectation of what Limbloom will do in the MLB compared to what he did in Korea. And so Eric Thames' slash, and particularly his best year in Korea, since we'll be looking at Limbloom's best year in Korea as well, his best year in Korea, his slash line was 381, 497, and 790. Those are ridiculous numbers. And when we look at what he did in Milwaukee, his batting average never went above 247. His OBP was never over 359, and his slugging was never over 518, which is not bad, but is nowhere near the numbers that he put up while in Korea. So while Limblum's numbers look amazing in Korea, I, I think I want to try to just temper his expectations. You know, Eric Thames was the baseball player when he was in Korea. And Limbloom probably comes over with a similar reputation. I mean, he just dominated hitters there this last year. And so if we expect him to come to MLB, come to Milwaukee and do something similar, I think that's unrealistic expectations. Now, that doesn't mean that he is not going to be a serviceable pitcher or that he's not going to be quality. Eric Thames was definitely a quality player. And the reason that we didn't keep his option is because the front office 
decided that the 7.5 million that he was going to earn was too much for what he did. That does not mean that he's not worth, I mean, I'm not in a front office, so I'm not going to, I don't work with the data that they have, but Thames is definitely MLB, an MLB quality player. And maybe I'm trying to qualm expectations for Lindblom when those expectations aren't even there. But if you look at his Korean numbers, those are not going to be representative of what his MLB numbers are going to look like. So MLB is the top league in baseball and playing elsewhere while you may be playing with some players that are MLB talent, the majority of those guys in those leagues are not going to be MLB quality players. So I'm excited that Lynn Bloom is on the team and he's going to be a part of the rotation, but I don't think he's going to be a part of a one-two punch of Woodruff and Lindblom, which is what I think we need to have if we want to truly be a competitive team. David Stearns in some interviews has suggested that the rotation and the pitching staff are probably not going to be his focus continuing through this offseason. And from... From a depth perspective, I think he's right. I think we're we're pretty deep now. We've got five projected starting pitchers in Woodruff, Hauser, Lynn Bloom, Brett Anderson, and Lauer. And while Lauer is young, we probably haven't seen the best of Adrian Hauser, nor maybe Brandon Woodruff. I'm not sure if this is a rotation that can be extremely competitive through the entire season. We do have a very high quality bullpen, but we also just lost Drew Pomeranz to free agency. And he was phenomenal in his short time with us. So I mean hopefully we can receive we can see Corbin Burns make a resurgence from his gopher ball year that was last year and find a way to prevent the home runs, continue the K rate that he established last year. And he will be an MLB quality player if he can do those things. But it it just feels like a rotation without a major threat besides Woodruff. Subtract Woodruff from the equation and this is not this doesn't seem like a competitive rotation to me. And maybe I'm missing some numbers that the Brewers front office is seeing where they can they've determined that this is a very competitive rotation that will be among among some of baseball's best, even though there's no big name besides maybe Woodruff, besides maybe Adrian Hauser, after what he did in a couple of starts and his relief appearances. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm still worried about this pitching staff. And the final major signing that the Brewers have done so far this offseason is Avi Sael Garcia. And he's he's a really under-the-radar player. I think he's going to be a great pickup for the Brewers. 
he instantly becomes our fourth outfielder, maybe our third, depending on how we use Braun out of this. But he he has been a consistently hard contact kind of player. His sprint speed is in the top of the MLB, and his defense rates out as quality in the outfield. We kind of have a similar situation, particularly after the Yelich trade and the Kane signing, where our outfield just feels a bit loaded. But David Stearns, the front office, and Craig Council have never been worried about the positions that players play. Their first worry has always been the talent of the players on the roster. And this is one of those moves. Garcia is going to be is going to be a quality bat in this lineup. I mean, our starters right now are if Braun is playing first, it'll be Garcia in either left or right, Yelich in the other corner outfield spot, Kane in center. Hira at second, Urias or Arcia at shortstop, a question mark at third base, and then Narvaez at catcher, and Braun at first. So obviously we still need to determine who our third baseman is going to be, and Arcia and Urias have not proved to be... Uh, Arcia hasn't had a, a full season of extremely quality... MLB at bats. He's had some stints where he's been a very good player, but and also some stints of being a very bad player. And Orius has not yet proven himself on the MLB level. But other than that, that's that's a very offensively dangerous group of hitters. This team is going to be putting up runs again. And I know that we don't have Moustakis, who was a huge part of 2019, and we don't have Grandal, who, again, huge part of 2019, and huge run producers in that lineup. But we're filling those holes with less expensive less expensive players. Both Grandal and Moose signed for a, quite a bit of money. And this team is still going to be putting runs on the board. So those are the major signings. There's still a hole at third and first. The, the Brewers front office has implied that Braun will not be the primary first baseman. He's still going to be a primary outfielder. And so Garcia will probably, Garcia will be our fourth outfielder who will be mostly be in the lineup giving rest days to Braun and Kane and probably Yelich who will need Maintenance days for his back. Luckily, there's still a lot of winter left. We still have a long way to go before spring training begins, before we have to finally start looking looking at this roster and trying to piece together who will be on the expected 26-man roster by the, by the time of opening day. So let's just do a quick run-through of some of the other some of the other free agent moves that have happened going mostly position by position I think one of the big reasons why 
why the Narvaez trade happened is partly because of how the catcher-free agent market has been shaping out. Obviously, Yasmani Grandal's signing was huge, but Travis Darnall, who was thought of as maybe the second best catcher on the market this offseason, maybe, he signed with Atlanta shortly after. Steven Vogt, who was linked a little bit with the Brewers early on, he signed. Jan Gomes re-signed with Washington. And then after that, it's a lot of older aging players or players who are not not really quality or guys who are probably backups. So instead of having to sign a an aging catcher whose contract whose the money on the contract would probably not be worth it, we get to bring in a 27-year-old catcher who can hit like crazy who we probably hope can improve his pitch framing. And then he's only 27 and won't be a free agent for a couple of years. There are still some catchers on the market, but we may not see any more signings, any more major signings, at least for sure, with them until later this offseason as teams try to fill out their 40-man roster. And first baseman has been pretty quiet. Howie Kendrick is listed primarily as a first baseman, and he goes back to Washington. He was a big playoff hero for them, so that's good for them. He is old, but his bat has been fairly quality and may continue, especially with Ryan Zimmerman on the market. He was their other major first baseman. And first baseman is still a hole for us, as I mentioned before. And again, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Maybe Stearns pulls some more trade magic out of a hat, goes out and acquires somebody that is flying under my radar until we pick him up. There's been talks about bringing CJ Crone onto the team, and that would be exciting. He's a, he's a power bat that... His defense isn't phenomenal. It's one of the kinds of players that Stearns is known for acquiring. So maybe we see that. Eric Thames is still out there, and it would be really awesome to see him return to Milwaukee. If he does, though, I don't know. That That's a bit of a question mark. His option was for $7.5 million and... He's a player that is probably worth about that much money. I mean, for sure, he, he will be on an MLB team by the time spring training rolls around. And he'll probably, he'll probably be in line to play left field first or DH for whatever team that is. As we get to third base, we may as well just talk about the three biggest free agents this offseason that all signed during winter meetings. All of them were Scott Boris agents, and all of them made bank. So since we're on third baseman, Anthony Rendon signs for a seven-year deal with the Angels. After signing a ridiculous extension with Trout, the Angels pick up an extremely quality bat. 
that will immediately complement Trout in the lineup. And while this doesn't make them a contender instantly, it does definitely make them a very more interesting team than what they were before. Obviously, they didn't have Otani pitching all season, and they're still very, very thin on pitching. But their bats become a lot more interesting for sure. The other top two or top three free agents in this offseason, Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. And I love the narrative of the situation. Steven Strasburg signed a record-breaking deal for pitchers to return to Washington. I think he's going to be he's going to continue to be very good for the next couple of years, but this is a seven-year deal. And he's 31 years old. So by the end of it, we may not be. By the end of it, he'll probably be a. A worse pitcher than what he is being paid to be. And then the very next day, Garrett Cole blows that record deal out of the water with his own 320 some million dollar signing with the Yankees. And as of this recording, it has not yet been made official, but I believe it's being announced tonight, which if you pay attention, that dates this podcast pretty well. He's still going to be a phenomenal pitcher, especially if he continues doing what he did with the Astros. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to him from here, I think. Going back to position by position, Moose signed with Cincinnati. So the two big players of the Brewers 2019 season are now with two teams that are geographically very close to Milwaukee. And one of them signing to an individual division rival. I want to say I'm happy for Moose. No, I am happy for Moose. He finally gets his multi-year deal that he's been that he's been waiting for. But it stinks seeing him go to an in-division rival. Other than that, the other major signings have all been pitchers. Zach Wheeler signed with Philadelphia. It's going to be interesting to see if they can unlock the full potential of Zach Wheeler, because it felt a little bit like he was wasting away, uh, not wasting away, but he was not at his very best with the Mets. Madison Bumgarner signed a big deal with the Diamondbacks. Uh, I know a couple of Giants fans that were really upset with about that, mostly because that the Giants didn't try to match or beat that offer. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs mostly based because of his home away splits with his time on the Giants, particularly in recent seasons. Some of the numbers suggest that he was a much worse pitcher on the road. Another Brewers pitcher of last year, Jordan Lyles, signed with Texas. And they also, Texas also made an acquisition of Kluber, So the Texas Rangers rotation becomes a lot scarier 
this past season, they had Mike Miner and Lance Lynn, who, depending on what numbers you looked at, were elite to very good. And so that rotation suddenly becomes a very scary thing for the AL West. The last major signing that I just want to talk about is Drew Pomeranz going to the Padres. It's a pretty expensive expensive deal for a relief pitcher who only had half a season of relief appearances. Before this, Drew Pomeranz was uh, a starter that kind of bounced between good, okay, and not so great. But the Padres are apparently convinced that what he did in a couple of relief appearances with the Giants and with the Brewers, that that's repeatable, which kudos to them. If they're right, they're going to have a very scary bullpen for the next couple of years. So the last thing I want to do is just talk about night rain that I've been drinking since the start of this episode. And I'm not going to lie, this is a very satisfying beer to drink. After every sip, my mouth starts watering for another. It goes down so smooth and leaves a really nice aftertaste behind it. It's a perfect beer to drink on, again, that cold winter night. I can't say that this is a beer that I will be picking up every time I see it. Um, It'll be one for sure that I at least think about uh, every now and again when I'm out beer shopping. But it's not a beer that I will be fanning myself over or, or trying really hard to, to pick up every time that I see it. It's also a local brewery, so I know that I can find it somewhere if I ever want to drink it again. But this is not a beer that's going to disappoint if you're into porters, if you're into dark beer. And that'll do it for this episode of Brews Crew. Thank you for listening. It really does mean a lot to me that you listen to the entire episode all the way through. If you like what you heard, please follow me. Give me a rating. Give me a review. It'll help listeners that are also interested be able to find me a little bit easier. I've got a Twitter account that you can feel free to contact me with you if you have any questions about the offseason so far about anything baseball-related, if you want me just to give you a shout-out on the podcast, tweet at me. It's at Pod. It's the name of the podcast with pod at the end of it. I also have an email where you can send questions if you don't have a Twitter, and that's brewscrewpod at gmail.com. So feel free to contact me. Again, thank you so much for listening. Go Brewers! on Wisconsin.